I'm Malia, and you're listening to Join the Table, a podcast where I explore myths, causes, and stories surrounding hunger in Maine. Why is it that people can't get the food they need? To begin exploring this question, I went to speak with Jenny Jones, director of the food pantry in my hometown of Bar Harbor, Maine. She said the pantry is working to see what their capacity is to do more advocacy for policies and programs that would get at some of the causes of hunger. She wants to look beyond feeding people. Here's Jenny. Hunger is just a byproduct of a lot of other moving parts economically. What are some of those other parts that you see? I know it's a really big question, but maybe just a few that come to mind like as you're interacting with people in the day-to-day I think locally for our region, as well as, you know, Hancock and Aroostook in Washington, for us, lack of affordable housing, uh, as well as year-round housing, um, and access to jobs where we live, we need to look at and have tough conversations on this island about affordable housing. The Bar Harbor Food Pantry is located on Mount Desert Island in Down East Maine. Bar Harbor has a vibrant tourist economy in the summer and a hard-working year-round community. But the pantry is open to anyone in the county, and many people come from off the bridged island. When I first started talking to people about hunger in Maine, I started here. And the director, Jenny Jones, made it clear that a lack of affordable housing causes people to make tough choices between housing and food. The Island Housing Trust did a great study on housing and the affordability and There's a good almost $200,000 gap between the um, median house price for sale and what people can afford to pay based on their incomes. Um, And so that that right there just tells you if you have two working people and decent jobs and they still can't afford a house on the island, um, we're pricing our own working community out of living here. This is an episode about housing and homelessness. We just spoke with Jenny from the Bar Harbor Food Pantry, where I started this journey. Soon you'll hear from a woman who was previously homeless and is now part of an advocacy group called Homeless Voices for Justice. In part one, Justice, we'll look at some of the ways people are criminalized for being poor. In part two, Charity, we'll cover the tricky power dynamic inherent in charity. We'll wrap up in part three, Housing, by talking about why affordable housing matters for people in poverty, for justice and for people's dignity, but also for a healthy and prosperous Maine as a whole. Hi, Hi. you're Malia. Yes. Come on in. Welcome. Well, we had subcommittees at Harbor, and then uh, we had a planning meeting for the businesses that are concerned about homeless or perceived homeless interfering with their business. Can I get you coffee or iced tea? I'm entering the one-room department of Carolyn. Due to degenerative disc disease, osteoarthritis, and osteoporosis, Carolyn had been collecting income from disability and living in subsidized housing. She became homeless two years ago and that housing fell through. She spent a while couch surfing between her daughter's homes, but that wasn't stable, so she spent a year in a Portland shelter, and it was in that shelter that she turned 70. During that time, she became a member of the Homeless Voices for Justice advocacy group. It's a group that's made up of homeless or previously homeless individuals, and it's been around since the 90s. It's organized by Preble Street, a large multi-service agency serving those in need in the city of Portland. Part one of today's episode, Justice. 
helps me extend a cup to cup. <laughs> there you go. After I'd had some iced tea, but before I'd set up my recording equipment, Carolyn was ready to tell me a story. She'd just come back from a couple meetings related to Homeless Voices for Justice when I arrived. Okay, we've had some problems with this. There are documented cases. Somebody will go like into maybe McDonald's, Burger King, or Wendy's, what, you know, whatever, and ask to use an old storage bathroom. And what ends up happening is if they have a backpack with them or a cart, they look like they're homeless and they refuse the facilities. So what happens is it goes out behind the building where he figures he's alone and a cop sees him and arrests him for indecent exposure because he's taking a leak in the back of the building. If you are convicted of indecent exposure for the rest of your life, you have to file sex offender status. In other words, you can't move into an apartment that's within so many feet of a school just because you had to go to the bathroom. Right now, Homeless Voices for Justice is working on a homeless bill of rights, a legal tool to help protect the rights of people who are homeless in Maine. We're not asking for any rights that we don't already have or shouldn't already have. Okay, it's nothing special. We're not asking for more rights, but we're asking for the same rights that people who are housed have. The bill asks that people's privacy and property be protected. If you live in an apartment and house and the police want to search, they have to go get a search warrant, okay? But if you have a cart that all your possessions are in, shopping cart or push cart, that all your that's your home, okay, that's your possessions, the police can search you without a warrant. If you're on any kind of public property, if you're on the street, in a park, they can come up and search you without any warrant. That's not right. It's unreasonable search and seizure. The bill asks that people not be criminalized, fined, or harassed for engaging in necessary activities. In the first story, that activity was peeing. But sleeping or sitting in public places is also a totally different experience depending on how you're perceived. You go into a public park and you're told to move on if you are perceived as homeless. The bill also asks that people who are homeless have proper access to legal help and services that would protect parents and aid the children of homeless families. Uh, If you have an apartment and you have a baby, you bring your baby home to your apartment. If you don't have an apartment and you're released to a homeless shelter, you lose your baby, or you can't easily, and it's happening. These injustices that Carolyn describes target people who are homeless and or in poverty, and punish people for their lack of a home and their lack of economic resources. They are not corrective laws. Nothing about these legislative actions supports people in poverty, is constructive, or is helping to stop homelessness or improve the lives of those who are poor. In fact, they do the opposite. And this reminded me so much of a conversation I had with a man who works on food access issues. I'm Jim Hanna. I've been working in the food system since the early 90s in a number of positions. Currently, I'm executive director of the Cumberland County Food Security Council. The council works with other organizations working to end hunger in the Portland area by supporting them, producing reports, and organizing action groups. I asked him to elaborate on his organization's mission, on their shared values that hunger is a result of economic and other injustices, not personal failures of people who are poor, We recognize that people are not deprived of food because food is unavailable in the market. 
but because their ability to get that food is restricted and most often by limited income stemming from economic and other forms of injustice. Um, we believe it is an injustice that uh, we don't have a more fair economy, that people are made to feel bad by having to access uh, assistance. People are punished for being poor when they're already in a bad situation, um, and we make it worse by uh, not creating access to the basics, whether it's food or housing or health care. Today it seems like it's, it's one of the most dangerous times to be poor in this country. Certainly in my lifetime and in what I know about history, um, it is one of the most dangerous times to be poor in this country. You really, there's a lot at risk for folks that uh, don't have access to enough to, to support themselves. In this political climate, when funding for programs that support those in need are often the first to be cut, laws criminalizing people without a home or people who are poor are only deepening the issue. Part 2. Charity When I first talked to Carolyn, I wanted to know more about how she became homeless, how it all started, where she was coming from, but as I listened to the story of her life for several hours, I realized how complicated, beautiful, and dynamic every individual's life is. And while she hadn't had it easy in life, that's not really the point. The point is that she was without a permanent, stable place to rest her head, and there was no safety net in place to provide that for her. A person who is homeless, living in a shelter, for instance, you have to ask for everything, okay? Uh, you want a hand sanitizer? You go up to the desk, can I use a hand sanitizer? You want a trash bag to clean up in the yard? Can I have a trash bag, please? If you were housed, you'd go into your cupboard, okay, and get what you need. But because you were homeless, you have to ask for every single thing you need. And that can be or can feel very demeaning, Um like I said, they have to wait in line to go to the bathroom, even if you're in a homeless shelter. There were 27 people at Florence House when I was there, okay? There were three stalls. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but in the morning when I get out of that bed, I gotta go. Cardinal rule with the elderly, things I've learned as I've gotten older, never pass up a chance to pee. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, so uh, the shelter... Everybody gets up at 7.30. And if you've got an old bladder like mine, sometimes it doesn't understand weight. So one of the indignities is you've peed your pants. You were a person who had control of your life until you became homeless. You've just lost completely your autonomy when you've lost your housing. Okay, so you have to, you know, go to bed at a certain time, get up at this. Those are inconvenient. You have to ask for things. That's it. But you go through this entire list, every indignity, every day, day after day after day. Do you know how wearing that is? Carolyn speaks about how wearing it can be to have to ask for everything in a shelter. It would be so much easier if she could have been housed and there wasn't a power dynamic between her and the shelter and the private organizations and individuals who fund the shelter. 
Jim Hanna from the Cumberland County Food Security Council and I were talking about the charitable food system and how whenever someone's not able to get the basics for survival and is having to find them at a shelter or a food bank, it's really a sign that policy is failing and a symbol that there's some serious inequity going on. There's that whole dynamic, that power dynamic in setting up a charitable system in, in, because you have more and they have less. There's something wrong with that. I just think about the way St. Vincent de Paul thinks about this and talks about this. He was a uh, saint in France. Jim asked if I'd be willing to wait while he found a quote. Okay, here it is. St. Vincent de Paul says that you will find out that charity is a heavy burden to carry, heavier than the kettle of soup in the full basket. But you will keep your gentleness and your smile. It is not enough to give soup and bread. This the rich can do. You are the servant of the poor, always smiling and good-humored. They are your masters, terribly sensitive and exacting masters you will see. And the uglier and the dirtier they will be, the more unjust and insulting, the more love you must give them. It is only for your love alone that the poor will forgive you the bread you give to them. So what that says to me is that you know, our charitable food system is not the answer. And, and most of the people that I work with that volunteer and work in that system, they agree. They look forward to the day when it's no longer necessary. Um, it's a dysfunctional dynamic. It's a dysfunctional power dynamic that people have to go um, shed their dignity to get the very basics of their existence, whether it's food, you know, again, health care and housing are other elements of that that we consider critical for people to, to uh, have access to. Jim's point is that many of the people he works with feel that charity, while very necessary in the current state of the U.S., cannot by itself get at the root causes of hunger and poverty or homelessness, because at the root of those issues is inequality. Things that might help to level the playing field and to reduce this power dynamic include expanding subsidized housing vouchers and affordable housing options in our towns, advocating for more cash food assistance from the government so people can purchase food they want on their own terms instead of going to the pantry, and of course, advocating for living wages. Anything that helps bring a little more autonomy and normalcy to those who need support. Part 3. Affordable Housing We've reached the third and final part of this episode. In this part, we'll look at one of the causes of homelessness and one of the causes of hunger. Lack of affordable housing. In the beginning of this episode, the director of the Bar Harbor Food Pantry said that one of the reasons people are coming to the pantry is that a lack of affordable housing makes it hard for people to buy food. I've heard that one-third of your income is the limit you should spend on housing, and it turns out it's not just an arbitrary number. One-third is a ratio that's pretty widely accepted as being the most that people should have to spend on housing before they become cost-burdened. Cost-burdened basically means you have to start making tough choices between what necessities to pay for. For example, if a person is lucky enough to get subsidized housing from the city of Portland, they would pay a third of their income for the rent and the city would pay the rest. This is what Carolyn currently does, and she's watched people apply for subsidized housing from within the shelter, 
and spoken to people who administer the program and anecdotally has found that it takes about a year to get subsidized housing if you have a disability or if you're elderly. And for anyone else, the chances are basically zero. In some places, like Portland, the one-third ratio is out of whack for a lot of people. The City of Portland Housing Report from 2017 showed that in Portland, nearly 50% of renters are spending more than a third of their income on housing costs, which leaves little for other expenses. Out of 942 homes sold in Portland in 2016, only 34 were considered affordable, meaning they were within the budget of the median household income in Portland. Uh, still in all, there there are a lot of issues here, and this whole gentrification thing uh, is just devastating to this city, a city that I very much love. I am a Portlander. I am devoted to this city. It is, it's not just buildings, it's an entity. It is growing and changing, and to me, I consider the city to be alive, and I want to keep it alive, and I want to keep it healthy. When we open up an HBJ meeting, we always go around the table, give our name, and have a question, and uh, the question last week was, what do you like least and what do you like most about the city of Portland? Least is probably the one-way streets. In any case, the thing that I love the most, you can walk down, walk down the street and say hi to a complete and total stranger, and they will smile and say hi back. They do. You notice? I, I don't know if you ever tried it or not. Carolyn loves Maine, and she loves its people, but she wants to see the city respond to the rising prices of housing in Portland to make the city more livable. I see myself as a survivor, primarily. Uh, I mean, I have survived. I also see myself very strongly as an activist, somebody who is willing to speak out and to talk back to the people who are making the policies and saying, you know, like I said, don't be ashamed if you're homeless, be ashamed of yourselves for not being proactive. It will take many activists and advocates to identify gaps in affordable housing and work for more equitable solutions. And by fighting for the rights of those without a home, we strengthen the rights of everyone. It, it cuts across lines. It's not just an issue about homelessness. It's an issue of, of quality of life for everyone. Thank you for listening and being an ally. To find out more, visit preblestreet.org to see what they're up to and how you can get involved. Or visit their website and click Advocacy Programs to find the Homeless Voices for Justice homepage. Familiarize yourself with your local homeless shelter or food pantry by stopping to get services if you need them, to write a check, donate supplies, donate your time. Many food pantries and shelters have websites where donating is just a click away. To support people and ease the burden on charitable organizations, support the expansion of government SNAP benefits, previously known as food stamps, and living wages for Mainers. To find out what your community's housing or other needs are, see if there's a local nonprofit who may have an established working group or council that you could join to get involved with affordable housing or food security. Special thanks this episode to everyone involved in the Preble Street Advocacy Group Homeless Voices for Justice. Organizer Dylan Monahan and Carolyn Silvius, Portlander and activist for educating me about homelessness and opening my eyes. 
Thanks to Jenny Jones of the Bar Harbor Food Pantry and Jim Hanna from the Cumberland County Food Security Council. To my project advisors, Courtney Cullum and Nancy Andrews, who were there at every step. Thank you. Thanks to Zach Soares for technical support. And thank you to Zach Kendall for composing all the music for the podcast and for production help. And thanks to my academic advisor, Bonnie Tai, for your continuous support. Thanks to Emma Kimball, Kim Lopez, Jessica Arsenu, Alba Rodriguez Padilla, and Lily Demers for listening and catching what I couldn't. Thanks to the College of the Atlantic and the Maine Space Grant Consortium for their financial support of this project. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the other episodes in this three-part series. And again, thanks for listening.